to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And it's time for another mini-sode, Brenna. It is time for another mini-sode. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And this time we're not talking about Hunger Games, we're talking about, I think, something we maybe enjoyed a little bit more. Double yay, triple yay. Yeah, I mean, we're coming off of a a nice week where we talked about female friendships, and now we're talking about a TV show that has some nice female friendships, and also some other stuff that maybe I didn't love quite as much. Folks, we're talking about Never Have I Ever, the Mindy Kaling show that dropped on Netflix at the end of March, and Brenna and I said that we were not going to cover it because it looked really annoying, Yeah, and then we saw that it got a bunch of really good reviews, and we said, okay, you know what, maybe we should. So we watched it, and there are parts of it that are super great, and parts of it that are pretty annoying. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of a a normal Mindy Kaling joint in that regard. Yeah, it totally is. (laughs) But maybe before we dive into that, Brenna, do we want to handle some correspondence? Yes, we're going to talk about some emails that we've gotten since the last time we did emails, Mm -hmm. which has been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) Uh, So I've got, actually, I've got four that I want to make some reference to, and then I didn't do any homework, but Joe did, and he's going to tell you about a cool TV show, right? Right. Okay, cool. So first email, uh, I really love reading emails from Andrew, but this is more uh, Hunger Games content, so I'm kind of like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew had a comment about Catching Fire, and he sort of saw our perspective on the frustration of returning back to the arena and how we were kind of like, ugh. And we should clarify that this email came in before the episode that we did on the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So people have not heard us rant about that return to the arena. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh... (laughs) Well, at the time that Andrew submitted this. But they have now. They have now heard it because we released that episode. Correct. Okay, I'm back. (laughs) <laughs> so, but I thought this was really interesting. So Andrew says, I remember reading an interview with Suzanne Collins years ago where she said she envisioned the arc of the trilogy to be gladiator games to revolution to war. And I personally think that that makes sense if each book represents that. But by going back to the games and catching fire, it completely puts the revolution on the back burner, which I think also affects Mockingjay negatively because that yes. book feels like two distinct halves to me. And that's something 100%. that you've alluded to as well. Yeah. Yeah. But Andrew talks about why he thinks the film was so popular the second film and talks about sort of like the improvement in just the action from the first film which we talked about just in terms of not having to watch children die Mm -hmm. (laughs) big step up from (laughs) from shockingly enough yeah (laughs) yeah and then andrew signs off that email actually by suggesting that we should check out never have i ever so there we go hi andrew wish fulfilled (laughs) (laughs) um and then i've got another email here from kadia who was the person who originally suggested we watch orange marmalade yeah all the way back in the day yeah and she's asking us to take a look at holes which i'm pretty sure we are right joe i think we have it scheduled closer to the fall Yes, so it Holes is actually one of our fill episodes. It gets bounced around the schedule a lot. It gets bounced around a lot. <laughs> so whenever we kind of have a hole, we end up plugging it in and then something comes up and we end up shifting it. But I have responded to Kadja and said, you know what, because you're you're making the argument, yes, we'll make more of an effort to make sure it gets on the schedule. Well, as soon as we know that people want something, that pops it up on our priority list anyway, right? So we might think something's a good idea, but then... 
something more pressing will come along if it's just us, whereas if we know mm-hmm. folks want it. So if there's something you've been dying for us to cover and we just seem to never get to it, let us know. It won't be soon, but we'll we'll prioritize it. Yes, yeah. And actually, there's been a subsequent exchange, but uh, she has also requested another K-drum, so Ooh. we might be digging back into that. Okay, okay. I'm game. Uh, we will need an expert guest. <laughs> Yes, actually, she recommended someone for okay. us. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, cool. Yeah, because you'll remember we had Paul Lee on the first on the first uh, Orange Marmalade episode, yes. and that was actually very helpful. <laughs> My God, it was so helpful. We also got a great email from Georgina, and Georgina is a librarian. She tells us she just recently got her first proper adult job at a local public library in the south of England. She says, I couldn't be more thrilled to working in a role that I feel is genuinely essential and a net positive for the world. And she's really passionate about making the library as inclusive as possible, especially for children and especially Mm -hmm. for children who aren't white. Yeah. And she was interested in some advice pointers and resources on how to do that sensitively and responsibly. And she talks a lot about her position. She's a white middle class woman. She's pretty sure the library staff in her region are about 90% white. And it's not that it's underrepresentation. The, the region itself is about that demographically, but that she worries there isn't enough support in place for folks who aren't part of that dominant culture in the region mm-hmm. to see themselves reflected in their library. Yes. And she also says that it's really important, you know, especially in a place that is very white, it's all the more important for children, especially to have encounters with difference through books. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she's asking us a question and I kind of want to turn around and ask it of our listeners. So Georgina says, I'm in the process of re-listening to the back catalog of HKHS. Thank you, Georgina. Uh, And (laughs) noting down practices and resources that you mentioned, but I was wondering if you might be able to advise me as a well-intentioned but ignorant beginner at this of any directions or projects or blogs, etc. that might be helpful for my situation. So I have a couple of ideas, but I also want to ask our listeners to share any great blogs or resources they know about. Mm-hmm. You can use the hashtag HKHSpod and we can collect them up there. A couple that I know of, there's a program called We Need Diverse Books, WNDB. If you Google it, you'll find their website. And they are really focused primarily on getting diverse books into the hands of young readers. Right. And so I think it's a Canadian initiative, but they have tons of resources on their website and also lots of great recommendations. Nice. The other um, one we've talked about a lot and I think could be really interesting for Georgina's contexts in the UK is American Indians in Children's Literature, which Mm -hmm. is the blog that Debbie Reese writes. Uh, We talk about it a lot on this show, but it's particularly good for recommendations around decolonial books, which might be particularly useful to introduce children in a British context to the decolonial project, maybe particularly useful. You mean where colonialism kind of started in a big way? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to say it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No offense to our UK listeners, but I mean, I think it's going to have a stronger connection in that regard, because of course, there's a lot of work that's been done on decolonizing, but at the same time, it can be difficult when you're also living in a country that has a very strong historical connection to it for better and worse. I mean, mostly for worse. And let me correct myself. So We Need Diverse Books is not a Canadian initiative. It is a YA initiative. The Canadian initiative that I was conflating with it in my head is the Festival of Literary Diversity. Okay. 
Festival of Literary Diversity is based in Toronto, but they have a monthly webinar series that they call the Fold Academy. Hmm. And the Fold Academy is a monthly webinar series devoted to helping writers develop their craft and navigate the publishing industry. But they also talk a lot about getting diverse books into the hands of readers. I've watched a bunch of those webinars and found them really useful. And the other great thing is that because of COVID-19, not that that's a great thing, um, but the entire <laughs> Festival of Literary Diversity was virtual this year, which means that right. all of the Fold 2020 programming is online on their website. Ooh. And so that's thefoldcanada.org. Nice. Yeah. All right. So we've got a couple of different resources there. And then, yes, we'd also like to hear from our savvy listeners. If you have any suggestions, if you yourself are a librarian or a teacher and you've had some hands-on experience, please, by all means, give us your suggestions and strategies. And then the last email that I wanted to mention is from friend of the show, Leo, who used to write in a lot and we haven't heard from him in a while. So it was, it was nice to get another email from Leo, mostly because it's just very complimentary and generous and thoughtful and kind. <laughs> and I like people who say that they like listening to my laugh, but I also appreciated his comment that he likes my laugh and Joe's dry comments, which might be the best articulation of our dynamic, Joe, that I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're the person that everybody loves, and I'm the person who sits in the back and says, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go, right there. So yeah, anyway, it's just nice. Leo says that he's finding it nice to catch up and listen to episodes um, when things feel not so comfortable, maybe in the rest of the world and the rest of the media right now. So I am really grateful when I hear that people are finding comfort in our show in these tumultuous times. Yeah, and we have heard from a couple of different listeners who have apologized because they've fallen off the pod. Oh, gosh. They're not, they're not doing as much reading these days. And mm. you know what? Folks, don't ever feel like you need to apologize for that. I mean, we love to hear from you. We love to think that you're keeping up with us. But at the same time, I mean, do what you need to do mm -hmm. for yourself. If that means taking a breather, if that means reading other kinds of books, if it means binging television instead of reading all of this is fine we're here when you want to come back yep. and if you want to chat we're always here to listen as well and you know i am someone who used to listen to podcasts on my walk to and from work every day it was perfect mm -hmm. had an hour between the two legs of walking to listen to podcasts and i don't have that anymore and it's hard to find new routines i currently have yeah. 127 unlistened to episodes of podcasts on my phone Oh my gosh, you just gave me so much anxiety. <laughs> right? Right? It's stressful. So don't let us be a stress. We want to be a stress relief. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Joe, you watched a thing. <laughs> Tell us about it. I'm famous for my segues. Fantastic. <laughs> I really appreciated it. So I have heard from numerous people over the last couple of years that I would very much like a certain TV show. It's an import that Netflix picked up a couple of years ago called Elite. And Brenda, the easiest way I can describe this to listeners, but also to you to help <laughs> you appreciate the appeal of this show is that it's basically Spanish Gossip Girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it is the story of three scholarship students who get the opportunity to attend an elite private school for the very rich. And it is framed like a murder mystery. So it's got a little bit of flavoring of like how to get away with murder, where at the beginning and end of each episode, there's a little bit of bracketing device involving a police officer. She's investigating 
a crime and you don't know exactly what that crime is and then you slowly start to uncover oh it's a murder oh it's one of the students and you sort of start to piece together who is it who's still alive at the end of the academic year but the majority of the action is leading up to those events so we're learning the new relationships these scholarship students are not popular but there are ties to the reasons why they're there with some of the rich kids that they're encountering because we discover very soon in the pilot episode that their old school more or less fell apart and nearly killed a bunch of kids because it was improperly constructed and of course one of the rich students at this new school is responsible for the construction their parents are very rich and famous and they own that company right so there's a lot of politics there's a lot of sexy shenanigans because of course these new kids are hot and these rich students are hot so there's a lot of bumping bodies and i think one of the things that attracted people to it is that it's fun and it's sexy and it feels like a guilty pleasure minus the guilty because it's actually exceptionally well constructed you know the episodes are a little bit lengthier than our north american tv shows would be so they run about 50 to 55 minutes Mm. but they feel brisk oh that's good there's enough of the tropiness that you don't ever feel lost even though there is a certain element of this is taking place in spain there's some cultural differences but for the most part you're like okay i know who that girl is i know who this guy is and there's enough mystery and intrigue to keep those episodes just driving along so i am about four episodes in it's just a good way to pass time if you're looking for something a little bit fun and lighter and of course if you like it there's three seasons of it so you can hop on board that moving train is it as bonkers as it sounds It both is and it isn't. Like, it's not out of control, Mm -hmm. but there's enough where you're thinking, oh, where are the parents? How come these children are not being chaperoned for? So it's Gossip Girl level bonkers, not Riverdale level bonkers. That is the correct way of putting it, yes. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) So again, that is Elite, and all three seasons are available on Netflix. Whoop, whoop. Speaking of Netflix. Speaking of Netflix. See, this is why we hired me. Did did we hire you? (laughs) (laughs) wait am i supposed to be paying you (laughs) where are my checks (laughs) (laughs) they're in the mail (laughs) we were just talking about no one ever pays anyone this is true yes uh folks don't do work for free make sure that you're getting paid yes yes it's a new (laughs) thing in my life i'm really enjoying it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i will co-sign that oh goodness okay i was speaking of netflix though because we're going to talk about never have i ever which is mindy kaling's new coming of age teen drama that dropped on april 27th this is i was going to say hot off the presses this is month old news yes and i think i even said that it came out in march so that just proves to you how i don't even know what month we're in anymore (laughs) what is time are we rolling the trailer first sure okay Sophomore year is going to be our year. You can feel it. But we're not cool. Would a not cool person wear one dangly earring? Which brings me to my plan. We're rebranding. I have chosen attainable, yet status-enhancing people for each of us today. Hey, Jonah. You smell great today. It's forever by Mariah Carey. Oh. This is why you don't mess with me. See, I'm technically best at ever be. Yes, I'm blessed indeed. So don't test me, please. I am Hercules. I unleash the beast. You look like 
an Indian Kardashian. I want to talk about a major event that could happen. Popping my cherry, Doc. Oh, Lord. We are smart, and idiots are banging all the time. We can learn how to do it, too. Word of advice, just give up. Oh, yeah? I won't be able to walk again tomorrow because I'm about to go get railed. Peace out, virgin. You just seem lost. <laughs> and I'm not lost. High school's a dick. Are we allowed to say dick now? I just want to be a normal teenager. Whoa, what are you doing? Don't worry, he won't hurt me. Normal teenagers end up in prison. Or worse, working in Jersey Mike's. Alright, so how would you describe the show? And we should probably also give credit, it's a co-creation. So it is Mindy Kaling, but it's also Lang Fisher's show. Who's Lang Fisher? I don't know. Okay, cool. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure people knew, like, it's not as though Mindy Kaling created the show by herself. Fair. I think it's a pretty standard coming-of-age comedy drama. It plays a lot with ideas of trauma and trying to represent trauma without losing the humor thread that is, I think, the primary objective of the show. Right. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it's quite off tonally, I have to say. But what is it about? Oh, what's it about? It? <laughs> Fine. It's about Davy. Right. Davy Vishwakumar is a 15-year-old girl. She lives in Sherman Oaks, California. So it's very much a sort of L.A. county kind of story. It is, but this is exceedingly multicultural. Oh, yeah. No, totally. I, and the, the school itself, all of her friends, it's a very diverse cast. And it's interesting, yeah. right? Because Mindy Kaling got a lot of criticism for the sort of surprising whiteness of the Mindy Project. Yeah. And you can really see her working against, I think, some of the assumptions that underlay the way relationships worked in the Mindy Project in order to, mm -hmm. to represent a, maybe a more realistic contemporary Southern California high school experience. Right. And this is, I think, closer to her own lived experience, because if you look at all the descriptions, they make very careful note that this is inspired by her own childhood. Okay, interesting. Although I think it's mostly just growing up as an Indian American first generation, probably with parents who are more tied back to a more traditional lifestyle. Right. So Davy has two best friends, Fabiola and Eleanor. And basically the, the premise of the season, the swing of the season, is that uh, Davy's tired of being a social outcast at school and she wants them to be cooler. Mm-hmm. Fabiola and Eleanor are basically completely fine with how they are and the social yep. cred and the capital that they have. But Davy's been through a pretty significant trauma the year previously. In the middle of her band concert, orchestra concert, uh, her father drops dead of a heart attack. And not only is she sort of emotionally traumatized by that, but she has this visceral physical reaction to the trauma in that she's paralyzed for three months. Mm-hmm until she's not and there's sort of a through line in the series of what was up with that right <laughs> and was it physical was it an illness or was it psychological or you know things can be both and she's really trying to shake off the kinds of assumptions that her classmates made about her through that period yeah, she doesn't want to be the girl in the wheelchair whose dad dropped dead anymore. She wants to be a normal teenage girl, which means she wants to go to parties and she wants to maybe get a boyfriend. But most importantly, she wants to have sex. Yes, she does. She believes that this will change something dramatic for her. Right. 
which we've talked about numerous times, is like, this is very foundational YA trope. Yeah, exactly. And she has a high school crush named Paxton, who she knows she's not cool enough to ever date Paxton, uh, but she sort of propositions him, like, what if we just had sex in your garage? And he's like, mm-hmm. nah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but in the process of trying to make that happen, they accidentally become friends. Uh, and Paxton doesn't want to... Paxton starts to feel weird about it because he feels like they are friends and he doesn't want to have that sort of userous relationship with her as well. It doesn't hurt that she also befriends his sister, who yes, he feels yeah. very protective of. Yes. And yeah, so the narrative arc is kind of like she's navigating these friendships. She's kind of a crappy friend. <laughs> she's a garbage friend, which is one of the interesting things about the show. Like a lot of the heroines we've talked about lately, she's very flawed and she makes a lot of bad decisions and she's so wrapped up in herself that she can't see that her best friends are going through their own crises eleanor discovers early in the series that her mother who she thought had like abandoned her maybe hadn't or had Mm -hmm. but not in the way she thought and fabiola is wrestling with these questions about her sexuality and and recognizing that she's gay and coming out about it and Mm -hmm. davy is bad at both of those things and then also (laughs) her desire for people to see her in a particular way leads to her letting a rumor about her and paxton having sex get out of control and paxton ends up really profoundly hurt that she has kind of used him in that way so Yeah, she's bad at friendship. Real bad. (laughs) She's real bad. And I think a big part of this, if you're an adult, it's evident from the very first episode that all of this bad decision making, it's not even acting out so much as it's trying so hard not to deal with her grief about what happened to her father that it manifests as a kind of angry determination. Like we just talked about Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. This is very much a Bridget level response. Very Bridget. So she can't deal with what happened. So she pours herself into this, frankly, unhealthy pursuit of Paxton as though it is the be all end all. But of course, the irony here is that, you know, Bridget's reaction in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is rooted in the fact that no one is helping her through it. Mm hmm. In Davy's world, everyone is actually kind of trying to do everything right, right? Like yes. <laughs> her friends want her to talk about her dad. She goes to see a therapist every week. Her mom is trying to move on, but to be respectful as well when she recognizes sort of things are difficult for Davy. Uh, I would actually contest that last piece. So really? I love I the think mom. that the relationship between Davy and her mom, Nalina, who i'm not gonna lie i i loved the adult cast of this i'm obsessed with her clothes obsessed with her clothes the clothes are great yeah (laughs) like particularly nalini's clothes like i Mm -hmm. aspire to be the kind of mom who dresses like that imagine white linen and motherhood at the same time (laughs) this is called a costume department (laughs) why don't i have one (laughs) (laughs) maybe when those checks arrive you can start paying somebody (laughs) You can pay for the extra help. But we should clarify. So I've seen all 10 episodes. Yes, I've only seen five. Five. Yeah. So the relationship between Davy and her mother really comes to a head in the back half of the season in some episodes that you haven't seen, where it's very clearly revealed that the relationship between her and her mother has been fraught with tension and that the deceased father was more of a mediator. So he was the one who helped to bridge some of the challenges that the two women had. Which is, again, a real typical YA trope, right? Yes. 
the dead parent the good and the surviving parent the fallible right yes and there is a moment in episode nine where things really come to a head between the two of them that will play out exactly the way you expect and it is really difficult to watch not because it's expected but because it's expected and then when it happens it hurts yeah it feels so hurtful and we've talked about the perils of being the parent who stays or the parent who lived Mm -hmm. and it's exactly what you expect oh man okay i'm gonna get there because i really like the mom the mom is great and especially in these last couple of episodes where you get a little bit more insight into the challenges that she's been having because she's also not been processing her grief Mm -hmm. and i think it's manifesting in her situation as a stronger authorial control over davy so she won't let davy live Mm -hmm. for all the reasons that you would expect Mm -hmm. okay that's interesting because i i found quite a lot of tenderness in the early episodes like when Davy's supposed to clear out the garden and she can't do it because it was her father's garden and mm-hmm. Nellini pushes her to it, but it remains undone, right? It's sort right. of like they're both suspended in their grief or the scene with the bike. Well, it's a Vespa, right? But the scooter mm-hmm. and whether or not to get rid of the scooter. I sort of love the retroactive relationship between the mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I like the way they in- include it. And indeed those flashbacks and those representations of memory are often really strong yes and then sometimes really jarring and i think that that's like trauma is really jarring right and our flashes back into our traumas are often really jarring so on the one hand i'm kind of like well this is sort of a cool way of representing it Mm -hmm. on the other hand i'm not sure it always works interesting yeah i think part of the issue is that often we're seeing these flashbacks from the perspectives of either nolini or davy and it's very evident that they are only remembering good things about Mohan. Mm-hmm. He is presented as possibly the kindest, most generous. Yeah, he is the saint. Mm-hmm. And I'll be interested to see if slash when, because I do think that the series has probably connected enough with viewers and has gotten good enough reviews that I I can only imagine they'll greenlight another season. Mm -hmm. But I'll be interested to see if they begin to complicate the notion of that sainthood Mm -hmm. in a second season. Mm -hmm. He's the saint all the way up until the end. Okay, that's interesting. So we didn't talk about one element, and you and I have already had this discussion by text, but the episodes episodes are narrated by John McEnroe. Mm -hmm. This is the most contentious part uh, for most people. With the exception of one episode that's narrated by Andy Samberg. And, um... To me, this feels very much like a Mindy Kaling gag. Yeah. And I had the same reaction I have to most Mindy Kaling gags, which is I really enjoy them for half an hour. And then you want it to stop. And then I want it to stop. Like if John McEnroe had only narrated the pilot, I think that would have nailed it. A hundred percent. Yeah, full agreement. And when Andy Samberg arrives in episodes... Six, beginning of episode six, yeah. Uh, So we've not talked about the character of Ben, but Ben is Davy's competitor at school. And of course, there's a a slight sexual connection. I was going to say, is he kind of in love with her? A hundred percent. Okay, good. Because of course, she's also the only person who sees him. Yeah. And they have a lot in common because of course, they're both very scholastically oriented. Her family situation is the opposite of his. And we get a lot more clarity around what that looks like in the back half. But Ben gets his own episode. And because it's his episode and not Davy's, they provide him with his own narrator. And the joke is, of course, that Ben's very successful lawyer father represents oh, Andy right. Sandberg. So he does it as a favor. Okay. Yeah. And it's pretty amusing, but it also reinforces 
how much of a gag it is to switch narrators for that one episode and it really makes you wish that the gag had been dropped in Davy's piece it does come full circle and i'll spoil one moment of the final episode so episode 10 john McMonroe does actually show up in person oh it doesn't work much better <laughs> i hope they drop it in season two yeah, I don't know if they will, but it is the piece, as I mentioned, that most people did not love about this first season. It has that that SNL effect, like it doesn't know when to drop the joke. Yeah. And there are moments when it's really funny, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you mentioned in our text conversation, there's a moment when the teacher calls on Davey and the John McEnroe voice goes, no, I didn't hear it either. I was talking to you guys. And that is funny. Like yeah. there's a couple of moments where it's quite funny, but there's a lot more where it's just like, ugh. <laughs> yeah and i won't lie overall that's kind of my impression of the show at large there's a lot that works for me a lot of the emotional beats i think are highly successful like not gonna lie cried in the last two episodes but i'm also a noted emotional wimp so it's not that surprising but the show really does work well on an emotional level yeah because I think it cares about its characters. And by making them complicated, it reinforces that this is not just stock character types. Like, Davy feels fresh and, and new, and the actress, Maitreya Ramakishnan. She's phenomenal. She's amazing. Like, And she was rightfully singled out in a lot of the reviews. And I think it's a testament to her acting prowess that Davy can just do so many annoying, stupid, terrible things. And you 100% buy into this because she feels authentic. Yeah. So those emotional pieces work. A lot of the humor around the cultural differences. So uh, Nalini is very much a by-the-books Indian mom. We also have Davy's cousin, Kamala, who is kind of stepped in to help the household out in the wake of Mohan's death. And she is on the cusp of being forced into an arranged marriage. But of course, she's also very bright. She goes to Caltech. She's secretly dating another student that she probably shouldn't be. And there's a lot of humor that comes from her good looks and how she toes the line between being a traditional Indian woman who also wants to live her own life and has aspirations of her own. Yeah, I love how she's sort of secretly more complicated than anybody knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also slightly dim. There's a hilarious line in the second last episode where she meets her potential future fiancé, and they talk about the things that they love about North America, and he says, I love how many different flavors of ice cream there are. It's not just pistachio. And she says, I love that the traffic goes in two directions. It's so cute. <laughs> Like, that's some genuinely funny stuff, and it's just about differences between North America and India. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I really, um, I like her character a lot, and I, I like seeing her blossom into this sort of interesting woman who wants to please her family without losing herself, and how impossible that is mm -hmm. within the dynamic of the family. It's nice because the show does a good job of tackling some racial and cultural stereotypes so mm -hmm. the film isn't afraid to address the fact that arranged marriages feel antiquated and out of touch with modern feminism in a north american context but there's an episode where they have a traditional celebration like a big indian holiday oh i've seen that episode it's number four. Oh, okay there we go mm -hmm. and in that instance kamala ends up meeting another woman who married 
outside of her arranged marriage and this woman has been ostracized from the community. So it's a very stark reality that gets represented. We as white people look at this and say, oh, no one should be forced to marry someone that they don't know, that they don't truly love out of obligation to family. But the reality is that the situation is not as black and white as that. And that's what this other woman kind of steps in to represent for a couple of moments. It's like, yeah, you could marry for love, you could end up divorced, and you could also end up ostracized from your community. Mm -hmm. And since so much of this show is about finding the people who get you, it becomes more of a reality where you say it's not as easy to just be like, oh, you can't do that. That seems outrageous. I think that it is often a very nuanced show around women's choices and how they are circumscribed. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that's the strongest component of the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, there's a lot of other stuff where it maybe feels like Kaling and uh, and this other guy. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Mr. Langfisher. It feels like they're beholden to some American pie and other classic YA sex romps. Mm -hmm. Like they feel the, the need to shoehorn those elements in. And that's where I start to find the show just a little bit grating. So I right. don't need to see Davy fall into a pool after a confrontation. And I don't need to see elements where Eleanor is overly theatrical because, of course, she's a theater student, so she doesn't know how to separate yeah. her life on stage from normal life. Like, I had a lot of trouble with Eleanor and Fabiola, particularly in the early parts of the season, because they are not characters. Mm. They are stock caricatures. And that's really annoying when we're meant to separate Davy from her friends because Davy, at least, even when she's acting irrationally, she's still a regular person. Like, she's fully fleshed out. Whereas the other two are just annoying caricatures. And it just really got to me. Well, I think it has a lot to do with that tricky dance of trying to depict a self-involved character and trying to focalize through them. Like, it seems to be really hard for creators to genuinely wrestle with the self-involvement of teens without losing the other characters into the morass mm -hmm. of it if you know what i mean i do yeah. yeah i think that's one of the reasons why even though I, I hate to say it because it's so traditional to say like oh here's the story of a poor little white rich boy mm -hmm. <laughs> but i think that's actually why the ben episode helps because it gives you a different kind of context it allows you to briefly see these characters from a different light mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that allows you to recognize that the show does understand that so much of it is filtered through Davy's point of view and sometimes she's just being ridiculous i hope for that as growth as the series expands into a second season yeah i would like the opportunity to maybe see an eleanor episode or a fabiola episode or even a jackson episode yeah like if we're gonna keep the first person narrator well i guess it's not a first person narrator if we're gonna keep the narration i want to see different narrators because i i don't think i can listen to an entire another season of john McEnroe's dry yeah i just also like the gag that it's really john McEnroe gets tired fast too mm-hmm and maybe if I knew more about John McEnroe, I'd find the jokes funnier. But when he's like, she nailed that just like I nailed the Grand Slam at blah, 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 blah. And it happens so many times. It's like, mm, yeah. this isn't fun. No. And who could care? Who could care? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what I do care to do? 
WhatsApp. Unless you have more things you want to talk about, I think we should try yeah. to YA bingo this. Oh, really? Okay. You you love to bring in this YA bingo for all the episodes now, don't Do you? Because well, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now I got to call it up. So give me a sec. Okay. Bingo. Not a good bingo. I can start while you're looking for it. Sure. Okay. So we definitely have a queer secondary character. Oh, yes. Yeah. We definitely have a dead parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, the defining characteristic of this show. Yep. To a certain extent, we have a rich people problem situation. Like, mm-hmm. there's an episode, I think it's episode five, where Davy's just like, oh, I guess I'm going on this overnight school trip. Like, those things cost money. She doesn't even ask. She just kind of goes. It's mm-hmm. like, what? Mm-hmm. What is happening? I think there's some growing apart with that friendship with the three girls. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, bu- 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 an unlikely friendship between Paxton and Davy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously a sectional, sexual awakening, or she's trying really hard to get sexually awakened. <laughs> she's trying super hard. <laughs> I think that's all I have. Okay, you won't have gotten to it, but the final episode does go to exactly where you think it will go, and we have a burgeoning love triangle. Oh, bum bum bum. And I swear that's not a spoiler, because you can see it coming a mile off. Oh, and obviously, duh, we have John McEnroe voiceover. Yes, it's stunt casting. Mm-hmm. Derp, derp. <laughs> derp, derp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a certain amount of perfect date and musicality in there, but nothing incredibly mm. strong. I actually wanted more music. Yeah, this one doesn't feel like it's as reliant as something like Trinkets is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Thanks for letting me play it. Ah, yeah. Unfortunately, not a line, but uh, we got pretty close. Cool. (laughs) So, if people want to talk to you, Joe, about this show and how, (laughs) I don't know, how much John McEnroe is actually secretly the best part, how do they Uh, find you? You can reach me at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And that's on the Twitters. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A, also on the Twitters. And you can get us both at the hashtag HKHSPod at gmail.com. Oh, wait, that's the hashtag in the email mushed together. Oh, oops. I skipped a sentence. So the hashtag is HKHSPod, and the email is HKHSPod at gmail.com. It was fun to do some more letters today. I hope we get to do some more soon. (laughs) Next week, Mm -hmm. we are... I think I know this. Okay. Artemis Fowl? Correct. Oh, yes. it's almost like I pay attention to our show. Uh-uh-uh. I mean, it's tricky when we Mm-mm. announce what the next book and adaptation combo is at the end of a mini-sode, but also at the end of the last regular episode, because it sometimes is like, oh, are, haven't we moved on? But we I get haven't. confused. Yeah, so <laughs> next week is Artemis Fowl. With Kenneth Branagh. Did I make that gag last time? You did, yes. Oh, cool. It's fine. It still plays well. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be checking that out. The movie is dropping on Disney+, Plus, so you will be able to see it just a couple of days before the new episode drops. So in the meantime, make sure that you're reading. And then our next mini-sode, we're going to be tackling the TV version of Love, Simon, which is called Love, Victor. Oh, yay! So excited! Sorry, I was drinking. <laughs> like oh my god did the audio cut out right at the end i am really excited i'm also really trepidatious i'm come to accept that i'm never going to get my fat leah i'm coming to terms with it (sighs) 
I haven't even begun to look at it, but I don't even know the relationship to this TV show and the book. So yeah. it's entirely possible that we're dealing with just all new characters or characters who are very adjacent. I don't know that we will see Leah in this. I just saw that they're dropping a novella to coincide with mm. the series called Love Creekwood. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, now I kind of want you to read that novella and tell us all about it. Okay, I will try. <laughs> Homework for you. I have $10 of iTunes money burning a hole in my pocket. I will order the iBook. <gasps> nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. All uh, right. Yeah. So until then, we've got Artemis Fowl and then look for Love Victor in the coming weeks. Cool. So uh, I'll see you on apparently the pages of that novella. Yes. And also <laughs> Artemis Fowl because I oh, don't yeah. think you can get out of that. No, I, I'm listening to the audiobook. I swear to God. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. <laughs> yes. And I will see you on the Disney Plus. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.